When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coaches, today before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, CoachPad. Uh, no matter if you draw scout cards by hand or use a program on your computer, CoachPad will give you back time by never stuffing a binder again before heading out to practice. First 13.3-inch electronic device allowing coaches to clearly display scout cards outdoors in the sun has been a game changer for programs this past fall and those currently playing all across the country. This new technology allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the Coach Pad and Coach Pad Mini on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates, and here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Uh, today we have Coach Brian Steinspring with us. Uh, Coach is a longtime college assistant. Um, Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. No problem, Coach. Um, I, I almost reached out to you last spring, but I, I ran out of time, and um, I think it, it just timing didn't work out for me to reach out to you, so I figured I'd reach out to you this offseason because – I, 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 the sad thing is I'm, I'm old enough to remember when you were the offensive coordinator back, back at Virginia Tech and your time there. Um, but before we kind of get into some of that stuff, I mean, you kind of want – I mean, you're, you're technically a free agent coach right now, but you want to kind of go over – Yeah, I, I'm, in the, I'm, in the, I'm in the coaching portal right now. I, I decided to enter <laughs> into the coaching portal. Do you want, do you want to kind of go how you ended up, I mean, through your career kind of where you are? Because, like I said, you spent a long time at Virginia Tech and kind of – hit a couple of different places since then? Well, uh, uh, born and raised in the state of Virginia. I went to James Madison University. Uh, quick story, uh, which is an hour and 15 minutes from where I was born and raised. A small town, about 5,000 people. And I went an hour and 15 minutes away to James Madison. As soon as I graduated, I started coaching high school ball in Lexington, Virginia, which is about 30 minutes away from where I was born and raised. I did that for a few years. Was able, we, we were fortunate to win a state championship. I went to Roanoke, which, again, is about 40 minutes away from where I was born and raised. Uh, stayed there for a year and really wanted to see um, if, there, if a college opportunity presented itself. Uh, and therefore, also being a teacher, I felt like I needed a master's degree, which I didn't have. So I started exploring routes for graduate assistantship. Uh, Billy Hyde at Virginia Tech called me. I'd been going to Virginia Tech a lot for clinics and camps, and I was familiar with 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 the Virginia Tech staff. Um, so they called off for me a GA spot. Uh, I went. Uh, it was at the very, very like the second year of Coach Beamer's uh, stint at our career at Virginia Tech, and uh, we got off to a, he got off to a pretty difficult start, and uh, we and it didn't changed as I got, became a graduate assistant and we he had to, he made a few changes one year and I was fortunate to be in the right spot at the right time and uh, I was hired in uh, uh, January of 1993 and uh, that year in 1993 we we, we uh, went nine and three and made it to the Independence Bowl and uh, and was able to win the Independence Bowl and I started a streak of 23 straight bowls while we while we were at Virginia Tech, uh, I was there 25 years, but 23 is a full time coach. So we really got into a really great run there. I started off as a tight end and assistant offensive line coach. About five years later, I became the line coach. The next year, I became the assistant head coach and line coach. 2001 or two, I became the line. I was the line coach and the offensive coordinator to about 2014, and then I was back to the tight ends assistant offensive line coach uh, for the following two. 
I also had a recruiting coordinator tied to me there a couple different times during that career. Uh, so it was a great run. It really, it really was a, uh, a great run. And, and one of the things that I think I'd like to share two quick things with you. My last contract with Patrick Henry High School, this is kind of where the game has changed a little bit. I think some people back then, I think we got into it. I know coaches got into it for the love of the game and coaches still do. But we, we all see the numbers of coaches that are what they're getting paid. Everything's public knowledge. Everything is easy access. But the most ironic thing to me is when I explain it to younger coaches around me, when I left Patrick Henry High School in Rono coaching two sports, football and wrestling, and my coaches and my teaching salary, my final contract was going to be $33,000. In 1993, I was hired at Virginia Tech to be the tight ends and assistant offensive line coach at Virginia Tech. Okay, this is 1993. It wasn't 1943. It was 1993. My contract was $33,000. Yep. So, you know, a lot has changed since then. But uh, uh, I, I think it's amazing how the game has progressed that way. But uh, I, I always tell people, I said, I, I went away, got a master's degree, made it to uh, major college football. was going to make the same salary that I made, made there. And then uh, I, I think it's a testament to uh, believing in your hires. Uh, you know, Coach Beamer, a lot of people have said this, not sure that he would have survived a four-year losing record uh, in an institution uh, at this time and age. But uh, Dave Brain, the uh, AD, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, a guy that had a great football background, he believed in Frank Beamer in, from 93 we, uh, we, we got a winning record, uh, again, proceeded to not, uh, 23 straight bowls, about eight conference championships, uh, went to the Sugar in 95, Orange in 96, national championship game 99. So that, when Coach Beamer retired, I didn't realize that I, had to, I was going to be retired along with him from Virginia Tech, but that's a part of the game. And I went back, I was uh, afforded the opportunity to go back to my alma mater as the uh, offensive line coach. And running game coordinator. And uh, we had two great years there with Mike Houston. Uh, we won a national championship our first year. We uh, got beat in the national championship game. The following year, we lost two games. We lost to North Carolina our first season. And we lost in the national championship game our second season. From there, I went to Maryland. After Maryland, I went to ODU and then, then, then at Delaware. Okay. Now, a couple of things there. And first thing I'll hit on is, I mean, and it's one thing I like when you do research on you, I think, I think one of the things that people most, I, I, I don't, it's probably bad wording, but you get extremely high remarks on is your ability to recruit and ability to build relationships with kids. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because, because like it, across the board, you, I mean, you look you up and, and look up information. It talks about how great of a recruiter you were and how much the, the kids truly enjoy enjoy being around you and kind of your ability to develop relationships with them well i appreciate you saying that and uh i think you know one of the things i attribute that to is is my parents uh my mother worked in a nursing home and that's a people-oriented business there's a wide demographics of people that she had to associate herself with my father was a postal carrier and that's when you actually went door to door and, uh, and I just watched his interaction and my mother's interaction with people. And I think that, I think I follow suit with that. I, I consider myself, people say you're a people person. I, I believe that. I love people, uh, being in a high school and a wide array of demographics of being a high school teacher, uh, makes you, uh, aware of, uh, different backgrounds. And, uh, so, and then, and then when I got to Virginia Tech, I, I was always seeking advice. And I remember Tommy Groom was the tight end coach. And, he, and when I got hired, when I got hired as a tight end coach, he called me in. He was leaving. And he called me in and he said, Brian, Stani, I'm going I'm to pass on some information to you. You're going to be a great coach. You're going to do well in this business. But if you're going to be the tight end coach, you better be really good in recruiting, really good in special teams. And I, I took the recruiting part to heart. Uh, it was something that really just fit into my personality. And um, it's something I really loved. Coach Beamer uh, said on our very first meeting that I was in as a full-time coach. I heard it as a graduate assistant, 
but I really heard as a full-time coach, recruiting is the lifeblood of the program. And I say that to this very day. And I believe that to this very day. And I still love that. I enjoy building the relationships. I enjoy being able to get out and, and meet different uh, uh, young men student athletes. Uh, but also I understand the significance of it. And I think I, I, I think I worked really hard at it. And, and building relationships is not just with the individual or the family. There's you got to buy into the community of the school, the community of the areas that you're recruiting and know that background, know, know the ins and outs. It's not just going in and seeing the high school coach, going to the guidance counselor, visiting with the kid, going to see the, uh, the, the parents when, when rules allow. I think it's more to it. It's all inclusive. And, and, the, and like anything else, any relationship that you dive deeper into, um, I think is the betterment of any relationship professionally and personally. Now, now the other thing is there, you, you mentioned kind of your spots at JMU and Virginia Tech. Now, when you were, was, was Bob Trott at JMU with you when you were at, okay. Absolutely he was. I know coach, actually I've had, I've had coach Trott and coach Foster on here, ironically. Um, I have been I have been blessed. I've been around some of the some terrific defensive coordinators. Bud Foster, wow, you know, uh, as an offensive coordinator with Bud as the defensive coordinator, you know, and our special teams, you know, we had a formula that worked exceptionally well. We all we took all three phases and we played the game as three phases as one. And and you could always you can say, okay, uh, it's third and twelve. Uh, you know, can we drop back? Uh, is there a chance for all-out blitz and maybe a sack, maybe an interception strip? Or or do we run a screen or do we run a draw? You could do that because we knew we were going to be able to punt the ball well, we're going to cover well, and Bud's going to defend well. Conversely, if we needed to be able to push the ball, we could do that. But we played as a great, we played as a great organization, a, a team, as coaches as a team. But I've been so blessed to be around some terrific defense. Bud Foster's fantastic mm -hmm. i mean no and he and i just i was on the phone with him for a long period of time today and um and but what i don't think really people really appreciate is, is a lot is, is his adaption to the game uh the way he adapted the way he constantly tweaked his defense to fit to fit the game to how the offenses have changed but he still never sit with all sight that the defense is going to dictate the way the game was played either. Yeah. Uh, and, and then Bob Trott, different, different style, different temperament, but wow, his, his game preparation, fantastic. They, they made your springs difficult. They made spring balls difficult. I always have a little angst on both of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you is like, like as an offensive coach, like when you're going up to, against two coaches with the experience and the, I don't know, the preparation and the, just the, the overall just, I, 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 aura is probably a bad word, but aura. Like, what does that kind of make your, like, weekly practice, especially in, like, the spring when it's, I mean, you're really going against your stuff. What, what is that like to have, like, that, that level of quality on the opposite side, especially when you're working with, I mean, let's just be honest, you're an offensive line or tight ends coach, and you're trying to block all that crap they're sending at you. How, what does that kind of, from a practice standpoint, look like for you? Well, when you're the coordinator and offensive line coach and going against those guys in, in spring practice, you know, I think it's invaluable. I think you just you asked a great question. Um, it's invaluable because you better be ready. You better treat every practice like you get ready to go into a game. Because if you you're not ready, if your offensive staff's not ready. For, for that Wednesday practice, that Saturday scrimmage. Uh, therefore, your players aren't going to be ready. And if they're not ready, if you haven't prepped them as if it's a game situation, if it's a game temperament out there, uh, you're going to get exposed. And so I, I think it made us all better coaches. I, I think, uh, I think our, our players had to be constantly ready for evolving practice. Uh, Coach Beamer was not going to slow us down and say, okay, 
I remember Ralph Friesen coming to practice one time. It was like the third day, fourth day of spring practice. Bud's over there, eight-man front, right before you snap the ball, they're in bare defense. They're in bare defense. They're stemming out of it. And I said, Coach Friesen, he's just standing back there. And they're blitzing off of it. They're twisting off of it. And like I said, it's the fourth day of spring practice. And Coach wasn't going to say, it's our job to catch up. It's the defense's job to – that's how they're going to play. So he's not slowing them down. So it's our job. So I went up to Coach Freeze and I said, I said uh, Coach Freeze, you know, what do you think? He said, I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, this is a lot. He said, I need to go talk to Frankie. <laughs> then, uh, but I, I just think it made you uh, a more disciplined coach, uh, understanding what prepared means. You, your drills. When you go out there and run drills, and the first tidbit I'd give you is whatever drills you're running in the spring to get ready for Bud, you better be running those drills to prep for what's getting ready to happen in period 10, 11, and 12, or whatever it is. Yeah. And, now, then, and then the other thing I would share with you, and this is something I'd share with any coach, offensive coaches like meeting with offensive coaches. I can't tell you the number of coordinators, offensive coordinators I've talked to or you know, we all go out in this professional development. We go visit other schools. Other schools come in. You study other tape. That's part of the that's part of the framework of what you're doing. How do you make yourself better on offense, bud, the defense, went to different places or had different schools come in? But when you have somebody like a, a Bud Foster or a Bob Trot, speak to defensive coaches. If we do this, what do you, what what are you going to do? Yeah. If, if, if we show this set, what do you think? You will learn more talking to defensive coaches that really are going to tell you a lot more about your offense or how they're defending you than talking, oh, we're going to attack the defense this way. We're going to do this to this front. We're going to do, but how are they going to defend you? Yeah. Uh, invaluable to have that. Re- but now we get together and he said, we're going to do this. How are you going to try to block that? Conversely, I'd say, bud, they're going to play a little bear. We're thinking about doing this. He said, well, that's good, but here's going to be their first adjustment. So you just got – it's just so many uh, – there's so many dynamics to it, but it just made – it made me a better coach in the spring. It made all of us uh, better coaches. You came out of spring, you hope your football team gets better. But I think as you just continue that competitive mode, we're all working together for, and to have that relationship. We checked our egos at the door. And you got to be willing to do that. You know, we're not trying to beat the defense. The defense is not trying to out-scheme us. We're just working together. So at the end of the day, not only our football players get better in the spring, but, our, but our, I think our staff's got to get better as we get, went through springs and got ready to prep for the fall. No, perfect coach. I mean, I, like I said, I, I've had a chance to talk to both of them. And I think both of them are absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, they're, they're, they're also just great human beings. But kind of continuing to build off that is, um, we mentioned a little bit there, tied in and O-line play. And from a preparation standpoint for practice, because you, you've kind of gone back and forth between tight ends and offensive line over the course of your career, um, whether you be tight ends coach to start and then move to O-line, then move back to tight ends and kind of do both. Um what is there a different level of preparation or how you prepare for coaching tight ends compared to coaching O line and vice versa? Well, I think the biggest difference is more often than not. Um, I think the biggest difference is just simplistically is that you, it, it most you you're worried about the wide position when you're coaching the tight end. Now it's kind of all that you have a Y, whether you call it the H or the U or whatever, you got two tight ends on the field. But at the end of the day, those, those, those parts are interchangeable. I think the preparation to be an offensive line coach um, is probably the most demanding of demanding of all the all the spots. You got five guys. And uh, and each of them may have a different technique, a different responsibility. You talk about a run game, which how many schemes do you have in the run game? Uh, protections, is it play action? Is it spread draw? Is it spread out? Is it six-man protection? Is it five-man protection? And you got to have five guys, not only knowing their job, but you got to develop a cohesiveness 
within that group where they all flow together, where the center and the left guard, the right left guard, the left tackle, and a combination of all three, they have to be able to work in unison. And now how do you prepare a, an individual to work as a group? You got to get them individually better. But at the end of the day, that group has got to be a cohesive group that plays as one. And I think that takes a – I think I, – I don't think you could go – I know. It practices at 3.30. You over there thinking about your game, your, your practice plan at 3, you're in trouble. I think you got to have a plan every day, uh, not just the uh, logistics of what's going in offensively, and individually, what the center does, what the right guard does, or what the right whatever, but also the tight end, and you got to be able to spit, have it broken up where you get individual work in, but always bringing the group in together and working as a group. And probably one of the best things that I found out in terms of my preparation is, uh, is you'll find out quickly how well the group works together. Is Everybody can block the base front, but then I've learned over the years as an offensive line coach, you got to move them and you got to move the defense. You got to show them the blitz looks in the run game because now people are changing gaps and moving. And if the center and the guard can pass something off, if the tackle and the guard can pass something, those are the things that have been most beneficial. Uh, testing the ability of the line to work together. Okay, no, that's perfect. Now, I kind of mentioned you mentioned that right there and I, there's a couple other points I'll hit on before we get to kind of where you guys ended up scheme wise you want to talk a little about how you guys evolved as an offense at Virginia Tech I mean we talked a little bit about that off screen but I mean you guys I mean I'd argue there, there's a pretty big offensive evolution from a ISO toss sweep team to where you guys finished up as a zone and counter team and kind of I mean obviously football evolved over the course of that and you guys had some really good athletes come in there especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, to kind of help transform college football. Um, do you want to talk a little bit kind of how y'all, especially yours as offense coordinator, your philosophy evolved over the time? Well, you know, when we first, when I, the early years, and I just, whatever the early years are, probably from Frank, Coach Beamer's start, probably till 95, probably, uh, that five-year period, straight isolation, power, toss sweep, counter. Again, as you and I spoke earlier, uh, Coach Beamer having a defensive background, you had to have a counter in. Okay, when I was the offensive coordinator, I always made sure I scripted a counter and a counter pass. And if I didn't get to it, I heard about it the next day, whether we won by forty or whatever it was. I still heard about it. So. So we were we were really big on that part of it, was it? We weren't a zone team at that time at all. It was power, counter, which are gap schemes in theory, and then uh, and then tall sweep, man scheme, and block down, pull, and get the ball outside. Uh, that 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 was uh, primarily uh, how we were going to run the ball. As uh, I give uh, credit with Chris too is. Ricky Bustle was our offensive coordinator in 93, okay? He left in 94 to go to South Carolina with Brad Scott, who had just left the Florida State spread offense, four wides, Charlie Ward, the whole deal. And, and I think uh, uh, Ricky was kind of uh, enamored with the, the, some of the zone schemes that, uh, that, they, that they had. Um, and we always dabbled in it but never featured it. And I think we made more of a – conscientious effort uh, to become a, a better zone team. And we actually start off with what, what we continued to run was a mid zone. And just for every, just for everybody's eyes, how you label a zone, you say we're a zone team, but it's more than that. It's an inside zone or inside or tight. There's a mid, there's a wide, and there's also an outside. And everything is about landmarks. And I'm talking about the tailbox tail landmarks, his first key read, the lines landmarks on who they're blocking and how they're setting up the uh, the, the, the 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 tracks the tracks of the tailback the tracks of the line need to marry one another and so we really became a mid zone team and got really good at it and then we started to spread the field more we as our 
as our receiving core grew, as our speed grew, we we wanted to we wanted to be able to spread the field as well, uh, and we did that. But we became as as years went on, probably uh, with Michael Vick, we became a, a really uh, we we dabbled in some option early. But uh, Danny Pearman and I went to Nebraska at the end of the '98 season and um, uh, spent two year two springs, a couple of days uh, in two springs in Nebraska and, and got a lot of their speed option, which wasn't a featured play, but with Michael uh, became something we could throw out there and teams had to defend. And uh, we did, we, we, we did that. We did it from big boy sets. We did it from spread sets, but we became a little bit more of a spread team as it, as it moved forward. Um, as we moved into the ACC play, we really became a big, big zone, but we never got away from the power either or the counter. I still believe in this game. There's, there's the most of the power game you see now is out of the gun and the power read by the quarterback or the wildcat. But there's still a place in my heart uh, to be able to line up and and get get some double teams and uh, be able to run the ball down here. I, I, we'll come back to Michael Vick later because I, I do have one question on him towards the end. But you mentioned kind of the differences between. Like a casual fan will pretty much know there's an inside and outside zone. I think that's kind of or that's yeah, that's the the cat the casual person. You know, when you're talking coaches, you hear the term inside, mid, tight, wide, outside. Do you for especially for younger coaches on my audience, do you want to kind of go a little bit more in detail, kind of some of the differences between those five? I mean, obviously you guys were a mid to tight team more than anything, but kind of the differences, at least for you guys and what you kind of hit on the most? Well, again, I think everything is determined. When you go inside or, or tight, slash tight, depending on who you are, you give the tailback his initial landmark. And it may be the playside butt cheek of the center. That's tight. So if you're a left guard and you're running that zone to the left, you're not trying to overreach a defensive tackle on my outside shoulder. I'm going to inside out him because that tailback is thinking a gap, uh, the, the tight alignment, his tight track. So we're going to tight track our approach to a defensive player. So if I'm a left guard and we're running a tight zone and I got a defensive player on my shoulder anywhere outside of me, I'm not trying to – reaching where he beats me inside. I want to try to quick step him and be more inside out uh, based upon his alignment. Then the center is going to be more patient on his climb to the linebacker level because, because of the tailback, there's a, there's a potential to keep it front side, but even a bigger potential for it to go backside. So linebackers are going to hold and then they're going to try to fit the tailback. So, it's a slower reaction to get to the next level. Uh, that's probably the biggest key is what is the tailback's initial aiming point, and then the line's initial tracks are going to marry that according to who they're blocking. Uh, the wider the zone, a mid, for example, a mid, if I'm a left guard and, I again, I got a defensive tackle on my outside shoulder, now the aiming points for us was anywhere from the – middle of the cheeks of the of the of the left tackle to the inside leg and and so now my tracks his track is now wider and now he's reading the first down guy to that side but his initial track is going to start that way now you get more flow from the linebackers but now as a guard i'm going to try to my initial landmark or the track that i'm going to set my first step is going to set that track to marry with the tailback is more play side number area and that doesn't mean I have to get to it but I'm going to try and if I capture it then that ball better stay outside of me but if I don't capture it then that the defensive tackle has to move with me and now that affords the tailback because a lot of people say a cutback but even if he does it's not really a cutback we've stretched the three and he, he jump cuts the three and then the wider the zone is, now if I go to a wider zone, if I'm a left guard with the same technique on it, now I'm trying to get my helmet on my initial step through his shoulder pad, play side armpit. Okay. And I'm trying to get my second step through his crotch. And then the tailback, his landmark is anywhere from the 
inside to outside or two yards out, a uh, yard outside, depending on if it's a wide or a stretch play. And you'll hear a lot of line coaches, the biggest arguments that happen on the field or in the meeting room is between the running back and the line coach. Because depending on the zone and the, and the tempo that the tailback has to know with these, a tempo is something that very people talk about, but the tempo of the tailback and the line, not just their tracks, but the tempo has to match. And all of a sudden, if we're, if we're, if we're uh, going in a certain direction and we think we should be staying on track to block the linebacker and the tailback cuts back or jumps up inside or however you want to jump cuts, whatever the term is, and the linebacker falls back inside, well, there's going to be an argument that Sunday between the O-line coach and the, and, the, and the tailback coach on he's got to press the hole longer before he makes that decision. That may be one of the most difficult things about us. I don't think, and of course, in my opinion, to be able to run a tight, a mid, and an outside, that's, uh, that's all good. It's a zone play to the line. We change our technique. But to get it married up with the tailback or the second-team tailback, that's difficult. I just think they have three. To us, we were going to be a mid-zone. That was our feature. And then we moved to a wider zone. Uh, been with teams that preferred the tight zone and then moved straight to the outside zone. But to be able to have all three, I, uh, that's so now you really see teams that are really the inside zone. However, now again, it doesn't have to be the, the butt cheek of the center, it could be the inside, leg, whatever you guys feel the most comfortable with. Everybody has their opinion. Um, but I think most teams now have really kind of centered themselves around oh, we're going to be an inside zone because the more you spread the field, the wider you place the ball. And nobody can protect the edge because you're spread out, and you're trying to protect defensive ends coming underneath you or defensive tackles coming underneath you because it's an inside zone. The more you spread it, the inside zone has gained flavor over the years. Okay. Now, to kind of continue on that, we also mentioned counter earlier. What would you classify as like your key coaching points for counter when you're lock talking? I mean, and it could be backfield or. I mean, tight end, O-line, tight ends. I mean, you've done this long enough and you've been a coordinator at, at, at major college football. So is there any particular coaching point, especially, I mean, because like, I'll, I'll say this, like in, in the state of Ohio, like our state is primarily a, I would say majority of our state is a gap scheme oriented. Right, right. Uh, you, you I'm familiar with Ohio. Yeah. A lot of power, a lot of counter, wide zones getting a lot of prevalence. Inside zone is really like the big schools that have, a lot of athletic linemen, all that jazz. It's inside zone's not a big thing, at least yet. What would you classify, especially for Ohio coaches listening, like key coaching points in the counter play? Okay. Cool. You said two. Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, you can go as depth as you want, coach. Okay. <laughs> go as depth as you want. The most implicit thing first. And this is just because you better check it. And I was around Charlie Walls who was a defensive line coach at Virginia Tech. Now he's in NC State. And I think Charlie Wallace is fantastic. But he's going to – he's he's not just putting his defense in. He's studying your offensive line, as I'm studying defensive line. And all of a sudden, the first thing I'm going to tell you is your guards better not give away the pull. Okay? Uh, and you better be – you better study your guards in their line because guards that have to pull – they want to get out of their stance. They want to back off the ball. And defensive linemen, if they do, if they do that, th those things enough, change your stance, lighten, lighten your hand, defensive linemen are going to read it. And either they're going to try to penetrate, defeat the back block on him, or they're going to run around or try to get back across the back block and get into the play. So the most simplistic thing is make sure you're not giving the counter the pulls away. The second thing is, you have to give the the pull the first puller and the second puller a wide array of looks. So is is a guard kicking out the defensive end? Is a guard going to pin the defensive end? And how's the second puller fitting? Uh, because if they don't get good at it, you're going to have the 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 the, the H back or whoever the second puller is. The guard's going to late log and, and, and the tight end's going to think he's up underneath. 
or he's trying to kick him out, and all of a sudden you got two guys blocking the same guy. That, that I think you have to get really good at because defenses are going to try to disguise what they're doing. They're not always going to say, oh, they're going to stand there squared. You're going to kick him out in the H-back or the second puller's up underneath. They're going to disguise. They're going to stay square as soon as they feel the guard. They're going to duck underneath. Now the kick out turns into log, and the second puller's got to see that. So I think you've got to get the first the first puller and second puller uh, a, a lot of looks. And, and that tailback's got to be in there with them and see it. Um, and trust uh, and, and trust the block. The second puller's got to trust the first block, and the tailback's got to block, got to trust the second, the second puller and follow it. The third thing I say I would say is you have everybody gets caught up on getting to the linebacker, the backside linebacker. Move, control the down guy first. Would you like to get two hats on him and disrupt his life, pancake him, stand over, do a happy dance, all those things? Absolutely. But that's hard anymore, especially at major college football or football. I've been around. Uh, they're they're pretty good at that defensive tackle. They're not they're not going to get moved. And three techniques are, are, are outside shoulder techniques. Three techniques when they move they become two techniques. Or two techniques are inside shoulder guards. They loop out. Those double teams have got to control the look of the defensive lineman they're responsible for, and they cannot allow that guy to disrupt the count. When I run gaps in the past and even to this day, when I put a gap scheme in, I do not put a linebacker in there in the first day, maybe two days. Because when you do that, you're not giving, you know, if the three technique pinches inside, the, the, the inside shoulder guy pinches back outside, or he just tries to get big on you. They're so caught up on the backside linebacker that the first level is not taken care of. So point three may be the most important of the things that I would share with you. Okay. And, and, but the most important to me is you got to control the down guy. Does that mean you'd like to knock him back five yards, take him back? Absolutely. But all of a sudden, there's going to be so many times that the guard's coming off of the linebacker and about the same time the tackle is. Or neither one of them come off. And that, that is the central biggest part of the game that has to be worked. So when you go, I'm a zone team to a gap scheme, well, that's great. But are you getting the same, what I told you earlier about, I test my O-line's awareness of working together as a group about their ability to handle all the movements, not the base defense. If they can't play, block the base defense or at least get, get into the position to do that and, and handle that, then we're going to have a problem on Saturday, okay? Uh, regardless, we're going to have a problem. But can they, handle, or can they handle the other things? But you get to the gap scheme, yeah, oh, we, we got the rule. We can block this. We got it. We know who we got. But – can you handle the central idea is that the point of attack has to be controlled. And any gas game, you said counter, that could be the power. I think you got to coach that into them till it's just, if we don't, I've told if we don't get the backside because we're, we're, we're beating up the three technique or whoever, because it's Dominic Sue in there. Okay. You don't take care of Dominic Sue. It don't matter what you do to the backside linebacker. It makes no difference. So, and that's just one guy. Yeah. But he, he left an indelible impression on me. Let me just say that. Even so, then. but I think that, that that's big. And the third thing I would, the fourth thing I would say is you better work that backside tackle and center on that. The, the center's typically the one that's got to block back. Somebody's pulled. It's normally the backside guard on the power and the counter, but you better work that. And you better, when that center goes back, he, 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 and, and he, he better be good enough to handle a penetrator, and he better be uh, uh, in-depth enough to be able to handle a guy that tries to beat him back across his face. It's a block that I don't think we work hard enough on. Okay, that may be one of those blocks that kind of gets you hit it a little bit, but at the end of the day, sometimes you get what you you get what you earn. 
And if you don't, and then the, and then the last part that goes along with that, it's all about handling the back block. You tackle who's what's called a gap seal hinge. He's got to help on the gap inside, especially if it's a three technique. He's got to help that center who's going to block all the way back on the guy in the B gap. That tackle has got to be able to keep a body presence in that B gap to help the center and then be able to hinge back out for the defensive end and maybe coming off the edge as well. That block can be a great asset to the center, but how you coach that tackle is critical. You can't let him step into the line because the defensive end is going to beat him around the edges. He steps into the line and tries to get back out for the defensive end, it's not going to happen, especially if that defensive end is going to come ripping off the edge. So you got to get them a step flat or even lose a little ground so they're keeping more of a body presence into the three into the big gap area. And I've always told my tacos, as you gap, you don't need to look at the three technique. You don't need to look at that gap. If you use right footwork and keep a body presence, you're going to bail out when that end becomes a threat. So I think that has helped us a lot. And then a lot of teams, in one of the variations that have occurred over the years is sometimes the center becomes a puller as opposed to the guard. Because if he's got to chase back on a three technique, let's let the, let the pulling right guard block the three and pull the center. That's all good. I think it's a great, great change up. But I think sometimes the timing, especially on a counter, gets out of whack yeah. um, when you do it. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. No, no, perfect, Coach. Now, uh, my, la, one of my last two questions for you is, I mean, obviously, like your offseason and, and our high school offseason are vastly different, um, especially up north here. Unfortunately, we don't have true spring ball yet. Um, but you guys are able, at least able to work with your kids to a point um, without a ball for um, kind of strength and conditioning stuff you guys do. And then obviously you guys get spring ball. Um, we get obviously strength and conditioning, but we don't get like true spring ball work. We get seven mans where we're allowed to pull seven kids at a time and do stuff. Is there anything you'd recommend, especially high school offensive line coaches, on stuff to work on during those seven mans? On how maybe stuff for their the extra stuff for their kids to do in the weight room uh, for offensive line? Anything? Any offensive development ideas for high school coaches for the off season? Oh. You know, the, the easiest answer is work on their footwork. Well, no kidding, Coach. We're all going to work. But I, I, I do think the linemen are creatures of habit, and you got to be able to create the habit. And the only way to do it is repetition. And those are the best times to do that because you can explain the why you want them to step that way, why this the knee inside the ankle is important. The, the, the tilt of the toe, whatever it may be. Uh, I think those things are, are critical. I, I do think the footwork, it, and it gets back to how, what you're running and how, how many things you're running. But to be able to, be able to slow it down for them and uh, just work their footwork is, is critical. But these are the times for little things to really be addressed. Hand placement. Everybody wants to talk about footwork, and you could. Where do my hands go, coach? Where am I putting my hands? Where do I want to get my helmet to? Well, those are the things. And then the third thing is, how do you develop? How do you get them to develop some pop? And so those are the times where I think you can you can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to break this down into footwork, hands, and then I want to get their hips involved. I mean, you do all this squatting. You do all these hand cleans, and then you watch guys block, and they never get their hips involved. So th those are the things I think you try to move forward with a group doing that. And, and then, quite honestly, if I have a team that's going to throw the ball in high school, no, you got teams that are going to sprint it out and they're going to toss it over the yard. Nobody grew up backpedaling and pass protecting. All of us played toss up and tackle in the backyard, and none of us back. Nobody, nobody played right guard. Yeah, nobody played right. The only guy was the center who snapped it sideways and waited for the one Mississippi two Mississippi three. Okay, so pass protection to me. If we're going to throw the ball, 
then I'm going to have a group that is knowledgeable enough to give them a, a foundation on how to protect. Because I think that's the hardest thing. Because I coached high school ball. When do you keep? When do you, when do you work on pass protection other than the who? Yeah. I mean, and those are the times I think if, if you're going to throw the ball and you got a pretty good quarterback, well, that's fine if I'm pass rushing you, because I'm not getting there. <laughs> okay, I'm a magnet. I'm gonna get on you. I'm stuck. But there's going to, you're gonna run into some guys coming off that edge that can run. And your tackles, you see it in college ball. The you see it in college ball to this day. You see it in NFL. I mean, you, uh, uh, Tampa Bay's got great players, uh, but you know, you see quarterbacks getting hit, and once they get hit, guess the defensive end is jacked up. You know, I can get home, and once you give them the ability, they, the, the belief that they can get home, here comes pain. Yeah. So. You want to give them a chance. So if you're going to throw the ball, that's the time where I think you you can you can slow it down. Because like I said, game week, picking up blitzes, picking up twists, picking up this, pick, run game, run game, pick up twists, pick up blitzes. How? What's my set? What's the spot I'm trying to get to if I'm a left tackle and I got a guy out there lined up at the bottom of the number somewhere? It looks like he's blitzing from the, from the parking lot seat. You know, how'd I set that guy? So to give him a chance, that'd be my advice. And then last question for you. We mentioned Michael Vick earlier in the podcast. And I'm always, I was always curious for somebody who was with him at Virginia Tech is what that experience was like. Because I I have vivid memories of one of my first Bengal games I ever went to. And they were playing the Atlanta Falcons. And I watched Michael Vick pretty much run up and down the field and only throw to Algie Crumpler the entire game um, because that's pretty much the the only guy that the Bengals couldn't cover or well, most teams couldn't cover, if we're going to be honest. But for that, I mean, you had him really in the beginning of the change of college football when, when colleges were going to more of a true spread offense. What was that experience like having – well, just being able to use that kind of athlete in practice and in games and how that changed stuff for all for you as a coaching staff? It'd been a, a, a lot easier for us if Rich Rodriguez would have developed the, and I'm not giving Coach Rodriguez, but you know, they, they were close enough to us. I know if we, if he had developed the old decide quarterback decide play just a tad earlier. Okay. Um, we'd have had a real easy couple rows. We didn't have that. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have quarterback counters. Uh, we were still predominantly a, 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 a lot of two back. Um, we did incorporate the speed option. The only true runs that we had with, with Michael was drop back. If they're not there, go. <laughs> uh, and then the speed option, and we would have a quarterback draw built in. But could you imagine college ball if we had to, to decide the quarterback decide play, the uh, quarterback counters, the 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 quarterback power scheme that's in right now? Yeah. Uh, and you know, we, we guys that were there at that time would talk about this the whole time. And but we had enough with Michael. He, you know, like I said, if he if he dropped back, it wasn't there. Uh, the play wasn't over. The play may just beginning, and we ran enough draws with it. Um, but that's probably one thing you think back upon and say, God, I wish we'd have done this, wish we'd done But you, if we'd have done that, I don't know if anybody would have really seen a true measure of his ability to throw the ball. Yeah. You know, uh, whether it was deep, whatever. You saw some sp- spectacular throws, uh, and he can make spectacular throws. I actually was watching a clip earlier today on Twitter. I think somebody posted something about our game against Boston College in 99 and just some of the darts he threw. A wheel route, kind of rolled out and threw a wheel route. and just dropped it. But then he threw a 70-yard post route to Andre Davis on a rope. And you just forget that. I'll say this about Michael Vick. Probably the thing that sticks out in my mind the most, you guys got a chance to see a lot of things on Saturdays. You have no idea what we saw on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. 
I mean, Coach Beamer would come up to me after a play. He'd go, what did he do? I said, uh, well, we'll have to go back. You had to go back and wait to – we get in and watch practice to see exactly what he, how he did that. And phenomenal. And he loved practice. But I think the first time we knew something, this is going to be an extraordinary experience here, is I think we're getting ready to play Syracuse. And if you know that time, Donovan McNabb, I can't remember who was before him. It was whoever was before him. But they had, you know, a, 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 a two-tier quarterback who could throw it and run it, whether it was McPherson or – I can't remember who it was. But Michael was going to be really big that week uh, going against Syracuse that uh, Michael gave them a good look because they were running the option. They were running uh, speed options and some trap options and running the quarterback here and there and just his skill level and his ability to throw the ball. So we're, we're in a staff meeting on, like, uh, Wednesday morning. We'd already had our Tuesday practice. And Coach Beamer, as always, he says, uh, Coach Bustle or, or me, if I was a coordinator, how do you think prep's going? How do you think prep's going? How do you think you practice? How do you think the plan looked yesterday? How do you, what are you going to do to get better today? Da-da-da-da. He looked at Bud. He said, hey, Bud, how's the game prep going? And Bud – didn't mince words. He looked up and said, Coach, we either are the worst frapping tackling team in America, and they're going to rush for 500 yards, or this Vic kid is special. Well, Vic kid was special. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fact, Coach. They're either going to rush for 500 yards. We can't tie. We're the worst tackling team in America, or the Vic kid is special. That's great. No, nope, that's a perfect coach. And I think that's a good way to end it. Um, coaches, um, thank you for listening. Uh, check out sponsors, affiliates. There's a spot that you want to go back and listen to, whether it be our conversation about Coach Foster and Coach Trot, offensive line, uh, his offensive evolution, zone, counter, um, beginning of the Michael Vick story, et cetera. If there's any part that you want to go back to, uh, all the tags will be in the bio. Uh, they might be slightly off if they're on Anchor or Spotify. Um, but on YouTube, they're good to go. Um, and then that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.